a very pleasant good morning to each one of you. I have learned as the years have gone on to just kind of go with the flow <laughs> and roll with the punches. If uh, things don't work out exactly the way that they were supposed to, that's fine. Uh, but I'm certainly glad to be with you this morning and have an opportunity to open God's Word with you and to study together from His uh, Word. I hate so much that I was uh, lying in bed sick last week. I don't really even know what I had. Uh, it's whatever Abigail had had a few days before I got it, but uh, so thankful that I was able to uh, watch the live stream last week and to uh, be encouraged as well uh, by uh, your worship to God. And I appreciate Brother Gavin and his willingness to uh, step in at a moment's notice. I texted him, I think it was early Saturday morning a week ago, and said, uh, I don't have a fever yet, but I'm I'm sick and and I feel like I probably will be getting one and texted him a couple hours later and says, yep, I'm sick. <laughs> uh, he was actually planning, had planned, uh, had worked on a lesson, I don't know, probably a couple of months ago or at least a few weeks ago uh, in preparation for this morning's service as has already been announced on our fifth Sunday to uh, focus our minds and our service upon uh, God and what he has done for us through his son Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus for us upon the cross, and uh, he had already prepared a lesson uh, well ahead of time that he was planning to preach in uh, this hour today, and I was supposed to preach last Sunday, but of course that all uh, got reversed, and so uh, I'm happy to uh, be with you this morning. I'm not back to 100% yet, but uh, almost all the way back there, uh, but it certainly is good that we have had this opportunity upon this Lord's Day together as his people to open our hearts as we have done in song and in prayer and to open our minds now as we open his word together. The cross of Christ certainly, I believe, is a center point of God's word. We often say that the Old Testament was looking forward to Jesus coming into the world and Jesus giving his life upon the cross and that certainly is true. We sometimes say about the New Testament that in some respects it is looking back to the cross and it is a reminder for us of what Jesus has done for us. And certainly that is true. But while the New Testament is looking back to the cross, it's also looking forward, isn't it? To the time when Jesus will come again. As Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as he gives us and was giving some instructions to the church at Corinth, they're about the Lord's Supper to remind them and us that we are proclaiming his death until he comes, that we are proclaiming his death in view of his coming again. But for those of us who are Christians, the cross is really at the heart of our Christianity. Because without the cross, Christianity would not exist. If Jesus had not come to earth to fulfill the purpose for which his Father sent him, to ultimately live his life here upon earth for a time and then to uh, give his life upon the cross and to shed his precious blood to redeem us from our sins, there would not be such a thing as Christianity. If the cross had not occurred, we, I feel certain, would not be sitting here this morning worshiping God. We would be doing any number of other things. But for those that are outside the body of Christ, the cross oftentimes is a foolish stumbling block as it was, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 23, as it was to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, foolishness. 
But for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, the cross, I believe, has very special significance. It is not just a tragic story about an innocent man dying an inhumane death, although certainly that was true. I would suggest to you that the cross of Christ and all the events surrounding the cross and everything that led up to the cross and everything that looks back to the cross tells us that the cross of Christ is the story of all stories. It is the story of human history. And so when we look at the wondrous cross, I think we will learn many lessons, not only about our Father and our Savior, but we will also learn some lessons about ourselves. So what I want us to do this morning in our time and study together from God's Word is to go back to the time when Jesus died upon the cross for each one of us and just to focus this morning on one of many lessons that we can learn from the cross. This uh, may turn into somewhat of a series, I don't know, because there are a number of lessons that I have written down in preparation for the lesson this morning. Then we may come back and look at those on some future Fifth Sundays, or we just may look at those on a different time. But there are so many lessons for us to learn as we look at the cross. And what I want us to think about this morning, as you can already see on the screen, is to think about how the cross teaches us how to suffer. When we look at the cross, we definitely see suffering. We see the suffering of the servant of God. We see suffering of the Messiah of God. We see suffering of the one who claimed to be the Son of God. And while Jesus certainly suffered in several ways as he was hanging here upon the cross and in the events leading up to his crucifixion there, what I want us to focus on this morning as we think about what the cross can teach us about how we as Christians today need to handle suffering is to just think about two ways that he suffered that we, even as his followers today, may suffer and perhaps are suffering even in our time so that we can respond to suffering and handle suffering in the way that Jesus himself did. As we think about the suffering of Jesus on the cross, first of all, I would like to bring to your attention for your consideration this morning the fact that Jesus experienced great injustice. That, that has kind of been one of the cries of our culture in the last few years, hasn't it? That we have turned into a culture of injustice, that there just seems to be injustice that is happening all over, around us every day. But that's not something that is just unique to 21st century America. That is something that has been going on since sin came into the world and it is something that Jesus himself experienced. I want you to just look at a few examples of that. We'll mostly be in the gospel accounts this morning. And so you may, if you have some markers in your Bible, um, or a finger or something to kind of keep uh, some of these uh, passages uh, in mind as we'll be turning back and forth between some of them. First of all, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, and uh, Weston has already read this particular passage for us this morning in thinking about the example of Jesus himself. Mark chapter 14, let's read there beginning at verse 55. Uh, now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they were not finding any. For many were giving false testimony against him, but their testimony was not consistent. Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, 
and in three days I will build another temple without hands. Not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. The high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus, saying, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Here is Jesus standing trial before the Jewish council, before the Sanhedrin is sometimes referred to. And as Matthew is telling us about what took place there, he says that there were many false witnesses that the council brought before them to try to provide some testimony against Jesus. They were trying to find something that they could use against Jesus, that they could accuse him so that they could put him to death as they were wanting to do. And as they, they brought in these people, these witnesses to lie about him, And they were doing so because, as the text tells us here at verse 55, they could not find anything against Jesus. They could not find any evidence as they were examining his life. They could not find any credible witnesses that would come and say that Jesus is guilty of this or that as a reason to put him to death. And so they resorted to bringing in these false witnesses, that this was certainly not a just trial that Jesus was facing here. Again, as we look around us in the world today, and as we just look at our own country today, certainly our American court system is far from perfect, but I want you to imagine the public outcry at such today that here is a man who is innocent, as we'll see a little bit later on, as Pilate himself examines Jesus and says, I find no fault in this man. Imagine the public outcry, imagine the headlines today. If this were happening to someone. And when Jesus, as he is standing here listening to all of these false claims and false charges being brought against him, and he is silent and the high priest says, do you not answer? When Jesus finally said that he was the Christ, that he was the son of God, the council charged him with blasphemy. And then they sent him to Pilate to die. This was not justice, brothers and sisters, that Jesus received. He was very much the victim of injustice. Earlier, or later on, rather, here into chapter 15 of the Gospel of Mark, notice as these events continue, in Mark chapter 15, as Jesus is before Pilate, beginning at verse 9, Pilate answered them, saying, "'Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews?' For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him, with him, with whom uh, you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him. But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. And wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to to, uh, be crucified. 
Pilate knew again that the chief priests had brought Jesus to him not because he was guilty of being an insurrectionist as Barabbas, this prisoner that was going to be released, was. Pilate knew that Jesus really was not challenging uh, Caesar. He was not challenging the Roman authority at all. In fact, in the passage that we have there in John chapter uh, 18, is Jesus is before Pilate and he's kind of asking Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And he's, you just have to imagine in your mind, Pilate looking at Jesus, looking at all that he has been through at this point as he has already uh, been uh, tortured to some degree, as he has already been whipped and looking at this man and saying, you are the king of the Jews. You, Pilate knew that he was an innocent man because he knew that he had done no evil. He knew, as the text stated, as we just read here in Mark 15, that the Jews had not brought Jesus to him because he was guilty of some crime, but because of their envy and jealousy of the popularity that he had among their people. Over in the Gospel of Luke, we continue to see Jesus experiencing injustice here at the events surrounding the cross. In Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 13, as Pilate continues uh, his conversation with Jesus here and with the people, Luke chapter 23 and verse 13, the Bible says that Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod. For he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Again, as Pilate is conversing with Jesus, and he says not only he himself in examining Jesus has found no evidence, no grounds for him to be crucified or even to uh, be punished in any way. He ought to just be released because he's an innocent man. Pilate says to the Jews, your own king, Herod has also examined him. He has also talked to Jesus and he finds nothing wrong with him. However, because Pilate was a politician and he wanted to satisfy the crowd, as we read in Mark 15 and verse 15, instead of fulfilling his duty as governor there to provide justice for Jesus, Pilate had him scourged, didn't he? And then sentenced him to a crucifixion on a cross. In all of this, we have to ask the question, where is justice? Where is a sense of righteousness of doing what is right and fair and equitable for Jesus the Christ, an innocent man, as we've already sung about this morning in the song, Beautiful Lamb of God, that he was innocent. And yet, he is suffering unjustly here at the cross. I don't have to tell you because we all experience this, don't we, every day. Sometimes we experience this on a personal level, but again, we, we look into our world, we know what's going on, whether we are glued to the TV or the computer screen all day or not. And we look around us and we see all kinds of instances of injustice and we cry, that's not fair. We see that in our government. We see that in our daily lives. 
But I'm asking you as we look at the cross this morning, as we look to the great example of Jesus, to look at our own lives and to think, how do we respond in those times? How do we respond when we suffer unjustly? And especially how do we respond when we suffer unjustly for following Jesus Christ, that we are experiencing injustice for the simple reason that we have made the decision that we're going to be a Christian? Well, we look to the cross, don't we? And that's what we're going to do here for just a few minutes as we continue thinking about this point. I want to read several passages from the book of 1 Peter, and we've already, again, read some of these in, in our 9 o'clock session. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. And in this, this entire text, at least going back to verse 13, Peter is talking to these Christians who are suffering that they are being persecuted for being Christians in the first century. And he tells them, this is how you can continue to live as a Christian, that you continue to honor God in all your relationships, whether it's your relationship to the government, whether it's relationship to your master, or we might say today to our employer, whether it's our relationship to our fellow neighbor. But he talks here especially about the servant-master relationship. And notice some instructions that he gives as to how they were to respond, how we should respond today, beginning at verse 19. He says, For this finds favor if, for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering, listen to the language, when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience, but if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Peter says, we all know that if we have done something that is wrong, that something crime, some crime that we have committed, some law that we have broken in our country, or certainly we have broken God's law, that we are deserving of death. We are deserving of punishment. We understand that. But then it's very difficult for us to understand when we are trying to do what's right, when we're trying to honor God and honor our fellow man and honor the king, as he talks about in this passage, and we still suffer for doing what's right. That's when it's very difficult. And that's when we need to look to Jesus and his example of how he responded to injustice in his life that we keep living like he wants us to. In chapter 4, as Peter is encouraging his fellow Christians and us today to um, not live the life that we lived before we became a Christian, that we have spent enough time pursuing the things of the flesh and he tells us the kind of life that we need to live here in this text. But he says at verse 4, In all this they, people around you, your former friends, your former co-workers, uh, people that are in the world that are outside of Christ, he says, In all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. That you are going to suffer. There's going to be injustice. There are going to be things that are thrown your way that you do not deserve just because you have made the decision that you're not going to live like the rest of the world anymore. And then as chapter 4 continues, Peter really gets to the heart of the matter here, beginning at verse 12, as to how we are to view suffering, and especially suffering for the cause of Christ. He says to us there at verse 12, beginning of chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. 
If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome to those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. In all of these passages, Peter was reminding Christians that were very much under the threat of persecution if they weren't being persecuted already, that you need to think about Jesus Christ in every situation in your life where you see things that aren't fair, where you are the victim of injustice, you need to focus your mind on Jesus Christ. You need to rejoice in that, he says, because you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. I don't know that he was saying to these Christians, to every one of them, that you are going to die in the same way that Jesus died, exactly that you are going to be crucified on a cross, nor is he saying that exact message to us, but he's saying that in living the life of a Christian, we're going to be connected to Christ's suffering, that we are going to share in the sufferings of Christ. And as we suffer for his namesake, we must respond as he responded. As Christians, we know that we experience injustice in many forms. There will be people who will lie about us just as they did about Jesus, those false witnesses being brought forth. There will be people who will take our words and twist our words Some of what they said about him saying that he would destroy the temple and in three days he would build it again. If you go to John chapter 2, you'll look there at that conversation as Jesus came into the temple the first time and, and was overturning the money changers there, that he spoke those words that he would destroy this temple and in three days he would raise it up. But John makes the comment to us there in that text that he was not speaking about that literal building in Jerusalem. He was talking about himself as being the temple of God. And so they were taking maybe words that he had said, but turning them and twisting them and making them say something that they really, he really did not mean. So it is for us today, brothers and sisters, that there will be people who will take our words and try to use them against us. There will be people that will treat us with contempt just as they did Jesus because we are following him. And when all of that occurs, I am encouraging you this morning to remember the cross to look back and to see what Jesus suffered at the cross of Calvary. But secondly, as we look at the cross and think about what Jesus can teach us there about suffering, that not only did Jesus suffer or experience injustice, but he also experienced abuse of every kind. Going back to the Gospel of Matthew, if you will, with me in your Bible for just a moment, to Matthew chapter 14 once again. We read down through verse 64 just a moment ago, but let's continue on there at verse 65. As, as uh, Mark, rather, I said Matthew, I think, Mark chapter 14. As Mark continues the account here at verse 65, he says that some began to spit at him and to blindfold him and to beat him with their fist and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers received him with slaps in the face Here he is again in his trial as he is standing before the Jewish leadership and the Jewish leadership is treating him anything like their king. 
They have blindfolded him. They have spat upon him. They are reviling him. They are beating him. The officers that are there are involved in that. He is experiencing abuse of every kind. In John chapter 19, John chapter 19 and verse 1, John tells us just very simply this, that Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. Kind of always been kind of interesting to me, at least, how the gospel writers describe a lot of things surrounding the death of Jesus Christ. That here, John just very simply, matter-of-factly matter says, after Pilate has talked to Jesus and, and he has come to the conclusion that this man is no threat to Rome, <laughs> That this, this man is an innocent man. He ought to be released. He's not guilty of any crime. But because of the pressure of the crowd, he delivered him over to be crucified. But before he was crucified, that Pilate took him and had him scourged. Doesn't give us a lot of details about that. It doesn't, doesn't paint a, a picture for us so that we can understand all the suffering and pain that was involved in that scourging. In the same way, the gospel writers, all full, four of them, just very simply say, that Jesus was crucified or they crucified him. And it doesn't go into all the detail about what's involved in a crucifixion. I'm sure we have all read accounts of what is involved in a scourging, that they would take these, these long whips, maybe a, a leather piece of leather, and they would attach stone and metal and all kinds of sharp objects to the end of that particular uh, piece of uh, of. Uh, uh, leather, and they would take that particular whip and they would just whip the person across their back. And you can imagine the pain that Jesus was in at this particular point, and he hasn't even had the first nail struck through his hands or his feet. Although Pilate was convinced that Jesus was innocent, he still had this innocent man scourged. He was experiencing, as we just talked about, injustice. There was no reason for Jesus to be scourged. But he's experiencing this abuse. Now we go back to Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 27. As we continue thinking about the abuse that Jesus experienced here at the cross. Matthew chapter 27, uh, beginning at verse 27. <clears throat> And the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the Roman, whole Roman cohort before him or around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. Again, Jesus before he is led out to Calvary. The soldiers here are mocking him. They are bowing down before him, proclaiming, Hail, King of the Jews. They didn't really believe that he was a king of the Jews, but they are insulting him. But it was also the common people and the religious leaders that were beginning to be involved in this. And we see that as we come back to Mark chapter 15. And notice beginning at verse 29 as Jesus is hanging here on the cross that Mark says to us that those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, you, uh, ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. 
In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. Here is Jesus. He has gone through all of this agony, all of this pain, all of this injustice that he has experienced up until this point. He has now been nailed to the cross. And as he is hanging here on the cross, here are people that are coming by the cross. It is the common Israelites. It is the religious leaders. It is even the criminals on both sides of him that they are all taunting Jesus Christ, that they are making fun of his claim to be the son of God. They had heard his words. They knew that he had claimed to be one with God, the Father. And now they were saying, if you really are the Son of God, just show us. Just take yourself down from this cross and we will believe that you are who you claim to be. And certainly they were saying that sarcastically, mockingly, because I believe if Jesus had decided to come down from the cross, they still would have said, well, give us another sign. (laughs) They were always wanting more evidence. But he is experiencing this abuse as he is hanging here And then back to the Gospel of Luke once again in chapter 23. In Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 36, the soldiers, Luke says, also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. That those who had been given charge of watching over Jesus, those who were certainly right there by his side as he was walking the road to Calvary's hill, They also mocked him and said, if you're the king of the Jews, you just save yourself. Show us, prove it. (laughs) We, We look at injustice as we just talked about, and that certainly concerns us, especially when we are the recipients, when we have not been treated fairly and justly as we should, but also when people are making fun of us. Think think about the mental strain. Think about how many times Jesus may have, at least in a human, from a human standpoint, wanted to lash out at those people. He may have wanted to say, okay, I'll come down from the cross. I'll show you. But he showed restraint. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we know that there are people living around us today, people in our country that would love to and maybe even do if they have the opportunity to abuse us in some way and to do so for no other reason than the fact that we are Christians. As Jesus said to his disciples in the Gospel of John on several occasions, that the world has hated me and therefore the world is going to hate you. We are, in many respects, the objects of the world's hate. Oftentimes, people that are outside the body of Christ will make fun of us. Yes, they will even hate us for living the life of a Christian. They will uh, mock us for what we're doing this morning, for assembling together as God's people to offer worship to Him. They will laugh at us maybe on the job or at school for not laughing at dirty jokes that they may tell, that they may make fun of us for not being politically motivated and getting into all these uh, uh, hotly contested and Um, abusive conversations about politics. 
They may make fun of us because we haven't joined some politically motivated, violent mob. They may make fun of us and hate us for not getting revenge when we are wronged. Just in short, for living our faith in Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus is an innocent man. He has done absolutely nothing wrong. And here he is, the object of their abuse. So when those times occur in our life, what do we do? How do we respond? Well, we look to Jesus, don't we? I want you to go to the, to the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 for just a moment. The Hebrews writer is, has obviously painted a, such a, a beautiful picture for us of faith and faithfulness to the Lord back in chapter 11. But then here is his conclusion to all of those heroes of faith, as we oftentimes call them, beginning in chapter 12 and verse 1. The Hebrews writer says to us, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He, much like Peter in writing his epistle, as we looked at several, chap several references from 1 Peter this morning, Peter was writing to those Christians who were suffering. Here were some Jewish Christians who were suffering for following Christ, and they were being tempted to just leave, abandon Christ altogether and to go back to Judaism, to go back to the world, to maybe go back to something that was more comfortable for them so that they wouldn't have to experience suffering and persecution in their life. And here is the writer encouraging them, don't give up on Christ. Yes, there are so many sins that so easily entangle us but we need to run our race looking at the long game and we, as we run our race to look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, because as we're talking about this morning, he, he endured, he experienced shame, he experienced abuse, he experienced injustice, but he did not give up. We need to look at the one, as the writer says here, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3 again, consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that we do not grow weary and lose heart. Sometimes we just feel like throwing up our hands in disgust and throwing in the towel and we're done with this Christianity business because we're tired of all the suffering that we experience but in those times to remember that Jesus Christ has been there first. He has walked that path for us first. <coughs> he endured. And now he is receiving glory and honor at the right hand of God himself. The key when we are abused for being Christians is, as the writer says here, to look to Jesus, to consider him. And those two words about looking to Jesus or considering him is more than just saying, yeah, I know the passages. I know what's said there. But it is really the idea of focusing our eyes and focusing our mind and focusing our life on Jesus Christ and looking at him intently, even as he is on the cross. 
and seeing how did he respond to such abuse. And then once again from 1 Peter chapter 2, and uh, Weston uh, read part of this section already in the 9 o'clock session, but let's go back as we begin to end our lesson this morning with this text. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21 beginning, Peter says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In this greater context, as we've already looked looked at that this morning, back to verse 13 of Peter giving some instructions to these Christians that are suffering as to how they are to respond to this suffering and how they are to be like Jesus, that he reminds them here at verse 21 that you have been called for this purpose. We have been called for the purpose of suffering for Christ. Sometimes we don't think about that. Maybe just because we're American Christians. We think we ought to have everything that we want. Life ought to be good because we are Christians. But you have been called for this purpose. But we have not been called to this purpose to suffer for Christ and left alone. No, God has given us the greatest example of one who suffered, Jesus himself. And as we've already read this morning and already thought about, that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was threatened, he did not threaten in return, but he just simply gave himself, his life, his body, his spirit over to his Father who judges righteously. The cross, I believe, teaches us that if we are Christ's disciples, we're going to suffer in some way at some time in our life. But it also teaches us how to suffer. And we have the perfect example, the perfect model for us, the man who was hanging there on the cross, Jesus the Christ himself. So when we experience abuse for following him, whether it is true hate speech, whether it is insults or threats that are thrown our way, I'm encouraging all of us, myself included, to look to the cross, to remember the cross of Jesus Christ. Our problem may be sometimes in all of this and many other things that we can mention this morning is that we simply don't look at the cross as much as we should. We claim to be followers of Christ and the cross, as we started out our lesson this morning, the center point of our Christianity. And maybe we think about the cross when we come together on the first day of the week and as we observe the Lord's Supper that we're thinking about the cross, but are we thinking about the cross of Christ when we're at work, when we're at school, when we're playing sports, when we're at home, when we're interacting with our neighbors. When we look at the cross, what do we see? Surely we see the precious Savior and how much He suffered. But I'm encouraging us us this morning to look at the cross and to see what Jesus is teaching us there about how we as His disciples can suffer as well. Are you looking at the cross this morning? Have you come to the cross? Because the Bible tells us that it is in the waters of baptism where we contact the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed for us at the cross. It is in the waters of baptism where we can be washed from our sins, where in many ways we 
continue to, to look back to the cross and we are buried just as Jesus was buried and we are raised to walk in newness of life as He was raised. What about you this morning? Have you contacted the precious cleansing blood of Jesus Christ that can give you newness of life? If you're not yet a Christian, I would encourage you to think about what Jesus has done for you, all that He has suffered for you at the cross, and as a Christian to be reminded of that and to let that motivate us as we live each day and guide the decisions that we make from day to day. As we examine our own hearts this morning and we see that maybe we're not living as God wants us to, we are not taking seriously, we have not considered seriously what Jesus has done in giving His life upon the cross for each one of us. Would that not prompt you to do something this morning to respond in obedient faith to the gospel call, to come and say before this audience, I do believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And then to live our life that way every day. Would you come this morning repenting of your sins and then be buried with Christ in the waters of baptism and put that old man of sin to death and rise to walk as a new person in Him? Whatever your need might be this morning, whatever your condition is, if you know that you're not right with Him, Won't you think about that and act upon that this very hour? Do that now as we stand and as we sing.